Dear sir and or madam, this is Mr. Browntham. You're listening to 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. 20 years and counting as Chicago's go-to deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday morning on Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 847-475-1590, on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show, and at Mike Now on Twitter. And here they are, she's lean and he's green, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Whoa, good morning. <laughs> Mike's live. Okay. Yep, Mike's We'll do it live. We'll do it live. <laughs> Uh, welcome, everyone. Oh, well, no, no. Theme went out very fast. Whoa. Okay. What? What? Bring it back. Bring it back. There it is. Still there. Okay. Now, now nice and easy. Okay. There, ah. we go. Ah, there we go. All right. Thank you. Don't welcome. mess with Mike. <laughs> Don't mess with Randall. <laughs> welcome to the show, the Mike Novak Show for Sunday morning, January 14th. And we have a ton of stuff today uh, in the studio. We have an Ellie sighting. Uh, Hi. And you uh, sort of. Dragged yourself out of your deathbed to come here? Yes, it was very brave of me. I was coming down with a pretty bad case of the flu, but I made it here. Here I But am. wait a second. Don't say coming down because I'll kick you out of here right <laughs> now I, without your coat. I don't care. You will, you will be out in the snow. I, was... I have been fever-free for over 24 hours, and whoa, that's typically whoa. the standard. Is the, are you sure? I'm positive. That's the standard? Yeah. Well, that was always, um, I remember the rule with my parents was, if you're fever-free for 24 hours, go back to school. That's what it has to be. Wow. I'm going to have a little chat with your parents, (laughs) because I'm I'm not so sure. But, uh, okay. Just, I'll tell you what, stay on the other side. You stay on the other side of the room. Okay. And uh, Peggy Malecki is here, uh, of course. And boy, we got a lot of stuff on the show today. And so I'm so glad you're with us. And uh, I, I see that. I assume we're up live on uh, Facebook, and I'm going to try to get the microphone out of my way. Now, that they tell me the way to do that is 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 do it up like this, except that that thing won't quite go up the just, way. Just don't dance with the mic. Just don't sonar's dance it, but I'm already dancing happy. with it, so Sonar's probably already <laughs> upset with me. Okay, that's yep, better. Yep, we are live on Facebook. Uh, good. And uh, we have our, our, our three-camera deal today. There's two cameras now, but... We're going to try something new today, which is going to be fun. Skype camera. Skype camera. Skype, Skype, Skype. Um, uh, with our, our first and second guest, and our first guest is Janie Maxwell, who's been on the show before, the executive director of the Illinois Farmers Market Association. And uh, we'll talk about uh, winter farmers markets because, hey, folks, it's winter. In fact, we're supposed to get some snow here in Chicago this evening and tomorrow. They tell us, and we'll find out from Rick Tamayo, who is also back 
today, hobnobbing. He was hobnobbing with the American Meteorological Society last week, and uh, I'm kind of interested in what he learned and what he's going to bring to the table today. So that will be fun. He's here. Uh, but also in the first hour, uh, Charlie Nardozzi, if it's not Nardozzi, but I think it would be Nardozzi. And if he's listening, he can tweet us or text us or write to us on Facebook and give us the correct pronunciation. Um, but uh, he's all things gardening. He's out on the East Coast, and he is an award-winning uh, gardening everything. I mean, he does mm-hmm. radio, television, he writes, he does tours, uh, the web, um, on and on and on. And he's got a cool hat, too. Uh, and, and I understand he will be wearing it because he's also on Skype this morning. So those of you who uh, uh, are following us on Facebook, uh, Facebook Live, will actually get to see our first two guests on the show today. Uh, and then in the second hour, this I am, I am very very interested in this conversation and i can't believe we haven't gone down this road before because what peggy and i have discovered in the last few days is that there's an internecine war going on in the organics movement um and i i was kind of surprised at how intense the whole thing is uh and i didn't realize it until we did some research into this and uh, our guest is going to talk about it. His his name is Francis Thick, and he, until December, was on the National Organic Standards Board. He left the board, and he had some very interesting words to say on his way out the door about organics and how it is being co-opted by big business. And um, I got a feeling that's going to be a really interesting conversation mm-hmm. today. And it involves hydroponics, uh, an issue that I'm going to be really honest with you, I was not aware of, and I probably should have been, so I feel kind of dumb that I didn't know this was happening, but I get a feeling that a lot of people who buy organic products are not aware of this as well. Well, strawberries, blueberries, all the Driscoll berries that are Uh hydroponically uh, the Yeah, company Driscoll is a huge Mm -hmm. part of this situation. So Francis Thick, Ph.D., He's a farmer, um, soil scientist. He knows his stuff. He had some really harsh words about the organics movement in America before he left the board, and we'll talk to him in the second hour, so I hope you stick around for that. So all of that on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki today. We hope you're part of it. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. 
Do you know that Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? This is Peggy, and I know this is true because for eight years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and they're ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicago who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, doctors, dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And as I said, we have a, a lot going on on the show today. And one of the things you need to know about is that uh, for today, we have, and, and maybe in the foreseeable future, I'm not, we're, we're not exactly sure about this, but we got to, there's a different phone number. If you want to be uh, on the show today, uh, you've got to call in a different number. Now, just so you know, we have that on the uh, my website, MikeNovak.net. It's also on the Facebook page. Uh, in the past, we've told you about the 1590 phone number. Uh, that's not it today. It's 877-711-5611. You can give us a call there, 877-711-5611, if you want to participate in the conversation. And I guess Life Source wants to participate. No, it's not Life Source. Uh, somebody from Iowa is calling me, and I, <laughs> I have no idea who that might be calling during the show, so I'm just going <laughs> to mute this. Uh, who knows? 877 uh, if you want to participate, and we would love to have you do that. Meanwhile, let's, uh, let's go to the Skype machine. Oh, and look at that with our three-camera shot and... There she is in all her glory, Janie Maxwell, uh, the executive director of the Illinois Farmers Market Association. Hi, Janie. Good morning. Good morning. How are you all today? Uh, we are terrific, uh, dealing with technology, basically, but uh, we're glad you're here with us. And Janie was on the show. I was looking at it. It was uh, in June. So is this what we do then? We do summer and then we do winter. I guess so. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm and I'm glad that you can be. You're not in your jammies. I, I can see you actually got uh, 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 dialed up for the show. My coffee, though. Oh, you. Oh, good. Your polka dot coffee cup. <laughs> I love that. We're here the, this morning. Janie's here to talk about what's going on because um, folks who want their fresh vegetables uh, and they want them locally. Uh, it's it's it, we're getting spoiled, aren't we, Janie? Uh, just a uh, just a little bit. We are. I think it's awesome that we can get year round now locally produced product, and it's really exciting that you don't have to give up once the typical growing season ends and uh, a lot of the summer farmers markets uh, close for the season. But we've seen an increase in the number of winter markets that have come online, so we're very excited about that. And there's a difference between 
a lot of folks think that getting fresh at the store, uh, you know, in, in America now in the 21st century, you can go to whatever store you want and you can get something that's green and leafy or even a tomato or pretty much anything, mm-hmm. strawberries, um, but they're not necessarily grown locally, are they? No, we we find the typical footprint is is as much as fifteen hundred miles, especially in the winter. If you're mm-hmm. in Chicago and you go and you find strawberries or um, raspberries, blueberries, those are all grown probably in Mexico or South America. So those aren't available locally. We haven't figured out a way to do strawberries year round. But what we really encourage is eating seasonal. But let's talk about some of the vegetables you can get here. Yeah, what's in season yeah, right what, now? What a, you, you know, one of the things you mentioned on, on your website, and if folks, uh, by the way, are interested in going to the Illinois Farmers Market Association, the website is? ILFMA.org. ILFMA.org. ILFMA. You mentioned on the website that a lot of farmers are trying to extend their seasons now, and this is how they bring fresh vegetables to the Midwest. They grow them locally, and you can have them within, you know, a couple of hundred miles of home because they extend the season. And and how are farmers doing that? Yeah, farmers are using uh, season extension uh, methods, hoop houses, greenhouses. Uh, there are some hydroponic things going on, but that's not really – uh, what we're talking about? Uh, well, well, let me. I got to stop you there because that's going to be a big uh, part of the conversation in the second hour. I don't know if you heard my my introduction, yeah. and and I have to ask you: Are you aware of that controversy in the organics world? Yes, yes, I am. Okay, yes. so you know what's going on. Yes, I do. But, you know, for example, I went to a winter market yesterday and I bought fresh greens that were harvested the day before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were um, cold storage things. It's nice that the farmer is keeping it cold for me and I don't have to worry about so th- uh, things like carrots and potatoes and root vegetables. Root ve- vegetables. Yes. Um, up until um, now, my apple producer wasn't there yesterday, but until then I could have bought or could have purchased um, frozen cider and apples. And then some of the value-added products that they make with that. Um, Bok choy. But it's really the leafy greens that are available year-round through the season extension. One of the things you're trying to do, of course, is let people know that these markets exist. That here we are in the winter and you really need to go out and be part of it. Um, in Chicago, we have, or well, in the Chicago area, there are a, a lot of markets. I listed some of those, mm-hmm. uh, and thanks to Peggy for tracking down a bunch of these uh, online. We have them. If you go to MikeNovak.net and you go to this week's show, you will see a list of uh, the various farmers markets that are open, and a lot of these are uh, have teamed up with Faith in Place, right? And uh, and they have a list of farmers markets. Now, not all all of them are open every week uh, obviously they're not open every day that's and that's the, the the key difference in the winter is isn't it Janie yeah some of our markets do things on a scaled back um, schedule so for example you may go to a winter market that meets twice a month or once a month rather than every single week uh, the faith and place model is very unique in that they go to different congregations across the Chicago land area and hold a one-time market Mm-hmm. So I believe their the list this year is 17 different congregations across Chicago land. I think they're in Lombard today. 
um, have a, access to a winter market. So I think that's really exciting, especially if you haven't, if your community doesn't have a regular winter market. Check out their website and see when they're coming closer to you. Yeah, today's the Calvary Episcopal Church at 105 West Maple in Lombard until 1 p.m. Right. All right, so folks are, are out that way. They they should go and stop in at the farmer's market. Now, here in Chicago, in my neighborhood, I'm very lucky because the Logan Square Market is open every week. And, right. And that's pretty unusual as far as winter farmer's markets go. It really depends. I, I live out here in Kane County, and my Batavia and Geneva winter markets are open every mm-hmm. single week, and then some of the other markets in the area are open maybe twice a month. So that's why it's important to actually look before you go and to make sure that uh, you know the details about the specific market. We've updated a list on our website as well that has the hyperlinks to each market so that you can look and see uh, when that market is operating. Plus, the big difference is they're all in someplace new. Some of these markets are unique to winter, Mm -hmm. but... You, for example, your Logan Square Market is not meeting outside like it was you know, <laughs> during the um, during the regular season. So there's a new address, a new location. Right. So even if you're familiar with shopping at farmers markets, you need to make sure that you have the most up to date information uh, available to you, so that you actually find what you're looking for. So yeah. you've got an app called Connect Fresh Illinois, or so that's something that you've put together with some of the other farmers markets groups. Yes, we were fortunate to receive an Illinois uh, block grant from the Illinois Department of Agriculture. And in partnership with Market Maker, uh, we have put together Connect Fresh, um, which is a database profile that connects vendors, producers, farmers markets, and then hopefully the consumer. So that database is available. You can access it through our website. Um, but then we've been able, with a that was a USDA grant, and then with the Illinois grant, we've turned it into a phone app, and that's the What's in Season app.com. Uh, it's not available in the App Store yet. That's the next iteration of the app, uh, but it can be downloaded to your phone from What's in Season app.com, and it's mappable software that puts puts the information about farmers markets, what's in season, and where you can purchase that particular product locally. It looks at your zip code or you can put in a zip code that you're interested in finding, but it not only finds the farmer's markets, but it finds the specific producers. So maybe mm-hmm. it's on farm instead of in a farmer's market. Alexa, so find, find, find a farmer's market. You know, that's uh, that's the next step. That'll be the, right? Yeah, the Alexa app. Alexa, find a yeah. farmer's market, uh, which is, I think, uh, I was uh, listening on the way and uh, somebody talking about that and how, hey, it's, isn't it great that you have uh, microphones going to Google in your living room so they can hear everything you say? <laughs> wow. But yeah, can't wait to get one of those myself. Uh, but uh, this is uh, how you guys are coming into the 21st century with the Connect Fresh um, uh, a site and the What's in Season app. Now, one of the things I think folks will notice at the moment, uh, and, it, I, and I guess it's really part of the reason you're on the show today, is we're getting the word out about this. You want people to engage so that you can populate these programs with data, Correct. Right, because the data is only as good as the individuals that populate it. So we would love every farmer's market, every producer to go to 
those particulars are our website and update their information in Connect Fresh, and then that's automatically populated in the app. So it's a seamless transition. Uh, you don't have to do it more than once, and so uh, we really encourage people to keep their information as up-to-date as possible. I think in the past, people didn't check their or update their information as much, but in this age of people wanting information, wanting it quickly, wanting it to be the most up-to-date, I think it's really key that um, producers as well as our farmers markets keep that information up to date. Well, I can remember way back 15 years ago. Oh, back in the day, back 15 years ago. Did they ago, have farmers markets then? They, no, they didn't. There, yes, they did. Yes, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, I, I'm remembering. He's just messing around at, at, a, at a time when you, you had to convince people to get a website. All right, yes. and they're like, oh, we don't need a website. We uh, we we do, you know. That's sort of that's the 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 ground level now. That's where you start. Uh, but I will I will note, and I'm not busting you here. I will note that uh, right now uh, the uh, Connect Fresh is still being populated. So if you go on there, you might not find something in your area because you need to go to your farmer in your farmer's market and say, hey, have you entered your data your data there on on this app? Right. And is it the most up-to-date as possible? That's the other thing. We may have, um, for example, the information from a market, but it's changed or it's closed or it's moved. So it doesn't really help us mm -hmm. if that information yeah. is there if it's not up-to-date. So we're encouraging everybody. Um, and then this is the only database that we're really aware of that connects the vendor producer and the farmer's market in one place. And too many times the um, data is displayed kind of in a silo. You can go find farmer's market data in one place. You can go find producer data in another. Where's a farm stand on another? But mm -hmm. this is a seamless transition with all that information in one place. So you say. <laughs> so, so we hope. We've really, you know, we spent a significant amount of time developing these technologies with our partners. And now the job is to get the word out and get um, the farmers markets and the producers to really engage with these databases and keep them up to date as possible. Fabulous. Uh, so uh, one of the things you note uh, on your website, and again, uh, if uh, folks want more information about all of this, they can go to MikeNovak.net. Uh, all the links are there on my page, but you can also go to ilfma.org, I-L-F-M-A.org, and get this information and, and get to Connect Fresh and get to What's in Season, the app. You note on your page that uh, Illinois is ranked third uh, in the nation in farmer's market with over 500 unique markets across the state. Uh, what's the future look like uh, in the next couple of years for Illinois? You know, I'm not sure. We've 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 seen that across the country there has been a rapid increase in the number of markets. Even this past year, uh, the data from USDA says that the number of markets has continued to increase. I still get calls from communities that are hoping to add markets uh, to their local um, network. But at the same time, we do see that sometimes uh, markets are having a hard time thriving. So we're still seeing kind of a um, adding new markets, but then we're seeing some that aren't making it, uh, maybe because there's, um, you know, there's too many, uh, there potentially could be a lot of markets in one fairly small location. Sure. But we're still looking into that and trying to encourage and promote farmers markets as much, much as possible, because you can get 
Um, what we really encourage with the direct-to-consumer sales, which is what you see with a farmer's market or mm -hmm. community-supported agriculture, is the goal is that the farmer makes money so they stay in business. And with the direct-to-consumer um, opportunities, the farmer takes home almost all the money uh, rather than having to pay some sort of middleman to distribute the products. So we really believe that direct-to-consumer is a way to really support the local farmer. Well, that is Janie Maxwell. She's the executive uh, director of the Illinois Farmers Market Association. Again, you can go to ilfma.org for more information. Janie, thank you uh, so much for being on the show. I guess come back to June, you'll have to, to join us again. That would be great. Thank you for the opportunity to be there this morning. My pleasure. Now, be careful as you move away from uh, your, your Skype uh, there and your camera, uh, just, you know, because you're, you're still live. Uh, we'll we'll shut you down at some point. Yeah, be, we don't, we have no idea how to how to get out of this. We can get into it, but we can't get out of it. Uh, but 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 thank you so much, and we'll talk to you real soon. Thank Thanks, you. Janie. Bye bye. Bye. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Hey, gardeners. Yeah, you come here. I want to talk to you. Just oh well, you know what? I got a little secret. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to do it right after the break. So, so you got to wait. So don't don't move from your little radio speaker there. Stay okay. Right uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And again, if you want to call in today, we don't know if this number is going to change. It might. But right now, it's 877-711-5611. We're talking gardening and cool stuff when we come back. The Chicago Flower and Garden Show returns to Navy Pier this March with more energy than ever thanks to a new schedule, so pay attention. This year's theme is Flower Tales. Every garden has a story to tell. And as usual, there are fabulous display gardens built by the industry's top professionals, daily celebrity chef demonstrations, container potting parties, and ongoing STEM studio cut flower arranging classes. The Kids Activity Garden is back. And did we mention presentations led by nationally renowned experts like, oh, I don't know, Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki? Yes, we'll be there twice. Our presentation, What's Important and How to Find It, is on Friday, March 16th at 1.30. And on Sunday, March 18th, we're once again broadcasting live from the show. And this year, the Chicago Flower and Garden Show runs for five days only, from Wednesday, March 14th through Sunday, March 18th. So, get your tickets now. Go to chicagoflower.com and we'll see you there. You can now enjoy local food all season long at Winter Farmers Markets, hosted by many different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through April. Your purchase of local, sustainably produced food helps support regional farmers. The markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of diverse faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. For a market schedule and to learn more, go to faithinplace.org. Are you ready to take your holiday giving to a new level? Get involved with the Give Healthy movement. Here's how it works. You visit the webpage of the drive you want to support. Pick out the food items you want to buy. They'll deliver them for you once the drive is over. You get a tax receipt, folks get healthy food, boom, done. They'll also work with your organization or food drive. Go to ampyourgood.org or givehealthy.org for details. This is your talk. Hey, this place is really something else, huh? Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Hip, hip. 
Yeah, we can only dream of an island in the sun uh, at this point uh, in Chicago. I did, I was going to look at, uh, let me get out the device here. Okay, it says uh, 12 degrees here is what it's. Wow, open the windows. It, yeah, really. Heat wave. It's a, it really, no kidding. We're supposed to get up to um, tw- 21 today. Woohoo! Give us a ding. Yeah. Oh, boy. Won't that be fun? Uh, however, it's worse in other parts of the country, and we will find that out in a second. Now, remember, it, uh, before we went into the break, I was telling all the gardeners to get close to the radio. Get get close. Get, come on. You know, get, come get, on over. Get next to that speaker. Okay. Okay. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Ready? Here Ready. it is. Ready. All right. You don't have to buy all of your plants at the big box store <laughs> garden centers. Oh, that's it. Cough right in the middle of my commercial. <laughs> I Actually thinking of telling you earlier today that you might want to cut my mic a little bit because of the uncontrollable (laughs) coughing. I have no control over it here. It's that guy across the glass that's got control over the mic. Okay, Who was putting his head in his hands as you were coughing. So much for my brilliant copy here, my commercial, which is down the tubes. All right, so we don't have to go to the big box stores. That's right. Okay, now here's the best part. You can grow plants from seeds. No, really, seeds that you really? get. Yeah, from you get from your own plants. I'm not. Wow. I'm not kidding. In the January February issue of Chicago Land Gardening Magazine, my editor and nemesis Carolyn Ulrich tells you which plants are good for collecting seeds and when to do it. There's also my column on the inside back page of every issue. Wait, wait, come back. Ah. Oh. Oh, well. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. Now, in honor of our... Next guest, I have to play this song, which you've probably heard, next guest, but I'm going to play it anyway. Charlie is a friend of mine, used to live downtown in a little rented place up behind the movie house. I assume you've heard this before, Charlie. I have heard that before. It goes in there with the Charlie the Tuna theme song. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, it, it, uh, oh, yeah. Well, I would never play the the Tuna theme song. Up in Charlie's garden. Yeah, up in Charlie's garden. In fact, that's the guy we've got uh, on the. And I gotta learn how to pronounce your. How do you pronounce your last name, Charlie? Uh, it's Nardozzi. Nardozzi. Yeah. Italian. It's Nardozzi. Ah, Nardozzi. Nardozzi. All right. So we have Charlie Nardozzi on uh, on uh, the Skype machine uh, right now. If you're on Facebook Live, you can see him in person with his hat. How long have you owned that particular hat? Uh, this one's a couple years old. You know, every time I go traveling around the country for various reasons, I always look for the hat shop. Ah. And so this one, I think, came from California, maybe San Francisco. And it's getting a lot of likes on uh, Facebook right now. So uh, people like your hat. Gorin Brothers, North Beach, San Francisco. Go down there. You'll get this hat. It's nice because it's crushable. You can just smash it around and it'll bounce right back. I love those hats. Yeah, those are great. Because if you're like me, um, the hat ends up under bags of mulch. It ends up... uh, (laughs) Uh, you know, every, under your golf clubs, under, under yes, under the, golf, under, club, yeah, under the golf clubs as well, under shoes, under you know wherever it's crammed. 
uh, someplace in a bag, and then you go, oh, yeah, wait, I forgot. Here's my hat. And uh, and then you just pull it out, and voila. It yeah, is, uh, it is. Right on your head. So Charlie is not based here in Illinois. Uh, where are you based, Charlie? I am based in Vermont. And uh, if you think it's cold in Chicago this morning, it's a balmy zero degrees here in Vermont. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, see, we get it here, and then we send it your way. Although you guys get a little colder than we do because you're you're up a little higher, but uh, it's uh, been that kind of month. Um, and uh, do you have snowpack there? Yes. Well, we you probably had the same kind of weather. We had a lot of snow, and then we got this huge warm front that came through that pushed it up to about sixty degrees a couple of days mm-hmm. ago, melted everything. And then a day later, the cold front came through and dropped another four to five inches of snow. So that's where we are right now. You know, uh, exactly. That's what happened here. And this is where I get a little nervous because uh, this is not necessarily the best thing in the world for plants who are trying to make it through the winter. Right, Charlie? Oh, yes, exactly. So it was nice. I was very I felt very confident about the plants when we had all that snow, even though it was minus 15, minus 20, because I knew the snow was a great insulator. But now that it. It all has gone away. Then I'm a little more nervous about temperatures dipping down because that's when it'll kill those perennials and, mm-hmm. and even some of the shrubs. Yeah, what, one of the things that happens, and, and, and I say this all the time, and Charlie, I'm sure, will agree that snow is, is, is wonderful. I love snow, and part of the reason I love snow is such a great insulator. It, it protects your plants, and we didn't even get that much here in Chicago. We had maybe two or three inches of snow, but it was enough. And and when I when the first snow came, it was very funny because I went out and I shoveled my walk, and then I shoveled shoveled my neighbor's walk, because I I could take that snow and put it on my plants as right. well. You know, it's like in the fall when the leaves I go collecting my neighbor's leaves as well, and I throw them in my garden, uh, because th- why not? They're not going to use them, so I sure. might as well take advantage of yeah. it. Yeah, and and when it was really warm two days ago, I had two bags of leaves that had been sealed that I never got to, so all those went out in the garden. Yeah, you know you're a hardcore gardener if you're stealing snow from other places. <laughs> snow and leaves, yep. Snow and leaves. Only hardcore gardeners do this. This is what I've descended to. This is just so sad. It's stealing just... snow from the na- stealing snow from your dead neighbor's yard. You know what? I th- <laughs> dead neighbors. Yes, my dead neighbor's yard. Yes, she died last year. <laughs> So oh, okay. uh, it's okay. She was she was ninety something something. She lived she a good a good long life, and she was cranky anyway. But uh, so there. But now I get to use her leaves and her snow. Uh, but but you know this. I just realized this is not. These are not the only things I've stolen uh, from my neighbors' yards. Um, Christmas trees. I I often go down the alley. And for those people, and I curse them, who do not recycle their Christmas tree, they leave them in the alley, and you know where it it ends up in the landfill. Uh, So I'll grab it. I'll drag it into my yard. I'll cut off the limbs uh, and throw the boughs on the garden. And it's it's great mulch. And, and again, what we're talking about here, and my friend Dan Costa, who who works at uh, a local nursery in the Chicago area, wrote to me about this several weeks ago, and we were talking about it on the air. And, I, and you can address this issue as well because it bears repeating. Uh, people don't understand the purpose of it. When you put mulch down, you're not preventing the ground from freezing. It's going to freeze anyway. Uh, but you want to keep this, the temperatures consistent uh, so that plants don't heave out of the ground. And one of the things he said is that it, 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 to some degree, you can actually keep 
the soil, a, a, it's, it's going to be a little bit warmer than the air around it. So that's part, you know, so you're not going to keep it from freezing, but you're going to keep it from being, uh, having these drastic temperature swings. Uh, and, and that's what happens. Do, mm-hmm. Would you agree with that, Charlie? Yes, exactly. So the snow is that insulator, so it keeps the natural warmth of the soil there. Um, but like you're saying, once it's frozen, it'll stay frozen much longer. And that's where the problems run in is when it goes through those freeze and thaw, thaw cycles. The ground heaves it up. The roots get exposed to some cold wind or cold air, and that will kill your plant. And you deal with that a lot in Vermont. Yes, we do. Unfortunately, <laughs> this year, like I said, we've had a pretty good snow cover. But a lot of times, I, uh, our house is out in a field, basically. So we get a lot of wind, and it blows right across the, the property. And so we always have to kind of deal with... We've learned over the course of years what plants can survive where in our property um, based sometimes upon where it's always been windblown. And so Mm -hmm. you never have that nice snow cover to insulate those plants. Uh, I want to let folks know uh, if they want to get more information because he's talking our language. If you're in Chicago, you deal with this all the time. Perhaps uh, the situation isn't quite as severe as Vermont, but we do deal with a lot of the same kinds of of problems and the way to find out about charlie nardozzi uh is uh, to go to gardening with charlie.com and charlie is spelled uh with an i-e c-h-a-r-l-i-e gardening with charlie.com now charlie i found this out just yesterday and i didn't realize this you're coming to the chicago no i knew you were coming to the chicago flower and garden show what i did not know is that you're speaking on the same day that Peggy and I are speaking on at the show. We are. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking on Friday and Saturday. Oh, oh, and Saturday. Okay, well, we're speaking just on Friday. Uh, okay. And, and then we're broadcasting live on Sunday uh, fr- oh. from the show. We'll be taking uh, our, our portable studio down there. Uh, okay. But so we're we're at 11.30 on Friday, and you're one something, I think. Yeah, so mm-hmm. they can do your shit talk and then come over and see me talk about container gardening. Yeah, so that's that's very cool. So tell us, uh, what uh, give us a little preview of, of that talk. Well, uh, I call it Container Revolution because, as you well know, Mike and Peggy, uh, over the last 10 years or so, container gardening has exploded in popularity and diversity, too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is driven uh, for two reasons. One is that uh, more people in cities or urban areas, and I say cities, doesn't necessarily have to be a Chicago, but even a, an urban area, more people like that are trying to garden, and they're finding that the best way to do that is with a container because they don't have the, the room to do it, or they have a lot of shade, and they need to move plants around, that kind of thing. And the other thing is, is, you know, as some of us age, not all of us are aging, but some of us are aging, <laughs> uh, we have a downside, downsize a little bit. And that, again, is another way you can do that easily is through container gardening. So with a lot of younger people getting into garden in the cities and, and older folks downsizing, you're seeing a lot of interest in container gardening. And then the number and diversity of kinds of containers out there now is kind of mind boggling. It's no longer just the clay pot and the green plastic pot from the nursery. You've got these polyurethane pots. You've got these grow bags. You've got these different kinds of rubberized plastic pots. Uh, They have self-watering containers. There's a whole diversity of different kinds of containers that are there. So I'm going to run through a lot of those. Uh, We'll talk about the soils you can use and talk about plant combinations, ways to design them, uh, ways to grow edibles in them, and ways to grow trees and shrubs in containers as well. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've been doing that for a while, and I've learned um, helping some other folks with uh, rooftops and decks that mm-hmm. there are a number of plants, shrubs, and small trees that 
do quite well, thank you, in containers. In fact, what I've discovered, it's a way to keep some of your shrubs' uh, size contained Mm -hmm. um, because they have less soil to deal with and nutrients, and and it sort of keeps them down to a manageable size. It's kind of fun. Uh, All right, we got to take a short break uh, there. That's Charlie Nardozzi. Uh, He is a a gardening expert from Vermont, going to be here in Chicago. We've got more coming up. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we will be right back. Celebrate local, sustainable, humane, and fair food at the 2018 Good Food Expo. Connect with local farmers and producers, learn from renowned local chefs, shop the Good Food Marketplace, and eat delicious food in the Good Food Court. Entry is free with online registration. Don't miss the Good Food Masterclass on Fermented Foods with author Michael Harlan Turkel. Good Food happens Saturday, March 24 at the UIC Forum in Chicago. The Mike Novak Show will be covering it live on Facebook. Visit goodfoodexpo.org. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Being a meteorologist, you see things daily that can be related or not related to climate change. And then you separate that from the climate science and the social policy. So it's almost like teaching three classes. Meteorology, which is short-term, the climate, which is long-term, and then the policy, which is government, whether or not it's federal, state, or local. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate on WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. Tune in to Chicago History and Automotive Heaven, Sundays at 12 noon with Richie Z, right here on WCGO AM 1590. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're very pleased to have on the Skype machine with us. And again, uh, we keep letting folks know that uh, the uh, our, our kudos to our engineering staff, uh, Sonar's here in person today, and Randall and... Uh, Johnny. Johnny Starks is here as well. And let's give them all a ding because uh, they've been setting up this uh, Facebook Live uh what, rigmarole, extravaganza. extravaganza with three cameras and graphics and stuff, and it just gets better. And better. every time we come in here, each week we come in here, they've added something else to it. And today we're adding Skype, and there's Charlie uh, sitting right there with his hat. He's waving. There and, he goes. And, and I've heard it said that 
we're about the only radio station around doing this, so, uh, so way cool. That That is way cool. So uh, welcome uh, to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. Uh, and uh, Charlie is, uh, boy, uh, you know, one of the things I didn't mention uh, when I brought you into the show is that you do it all. You're you're a writer, you're a speaker, you do radio. Yeah, come on. You got th- three radio shows? Really? You, you just want to <laughs> just rub it in my face? Is that is that it? Only one is live. The other are taped things. So oh, phew, wow. That just uh, takes the pressure off right there. Okay. And, and uh, you go on tours. You take people uh, um, throughout Europe. Um, you're on the web. In fact, you've got a webinar coming up on uh, February 1st. What's that all about? Yeah, February 1st at 7 p.m. Eastern time. I'm doing a webinar on foodscaping, which is edible landscaping. I wrote a book on the topic a couple of years ago. And, and the whole premise of foodscaping or edible landscaping is that you can grow edible plants in your yard. You can grow beautiful vegetables, flowers, uh, berries, fruit trees that will not sacrifice the beauty of your yard. So, so many people want to grow some of these edibles, but they think, oh, I don't want to cut down my beautiful crab apple tree or my flowering plum, or I don't want to rip out that nice rhododendron I have. Well, you can have all of that. You can still have the beauty of these plants in your yard, but you can substitute them with edible plants that you can get some nice fresh vegetables and fruits from and still have an attractive landscape too. You know what I would say? um, And I was thinking about that as you were describing it. And people have, they say, well, I've got my rhododendron here and I don't want, well, the problem is they want their rhododendron and then they want three feet of mulch around it. And my my feeling is no, 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 no. Stop being a neatness freak. Okay. And, and just plant stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the ways to go that I've learned from people like Roy Diblick here in the Chicago area and Pete Udolph, who designs all over the world is uh, create your own mulch with plants. Plants can create their own mulch, uh, meaning that if you put them close enough together, the water is not going to evaporate as quickly. It's also uh, its own herbicide because it suppresses weed growth. Uh, so really, if you put more plants in, you're doing yourself a favor and you're doing the plants a favor. I, I, and I know that the books for years and years have said, well, you need the air circulation and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, there's some of that too. There's a balance here. I think you can have, but especially if you're looking at prairies and the number of plants, I was talking to Roy yesterday. I saw him at an event and I forget what he was talking about, how many, uh, natives you need per square foot to really be considered a prairie, but it's a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and 16 or 18, a huge number of plants per square foot. Uh, and we can do the same thing in our yards. We can, we can, we can put it probably a few more plants than we're used to. Wouldn't you agree, Charlie? Uh, yeah. What you're trying to do with edible landscaping or foodscaping, and it's actually kind of a type of permaculture, which is another mm-hmm. catchphrase a lot of people talk about now, is you're trying to mimic natural ecosystems. And if you look at a forest or if you look even at a marginal area, like you're saying, there's a lot of diversity of plants in a small space. So if you can re create that using the edible plants that you want, you can create a a beautiful landscape in there that's ecologically sound and you're going to get a lot of fresh food from it too. So we have something called an edible edible hedgerow that we grow and we mixed in uh, gooseberries in there with blueberries with some of the bush cherries. Mm -hmm. 
some roses too, and other kinds of plants. And they're all living and working together. You know, you've probably seen this research, you know, plants talk to each other through <laughs> root systems. And it's Shh. not just trees. Don't, don't give that away. Shh. They're talking a lot about you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I know. You should hear what they say. Oh, I know what they say. Believe me, I've seen the reports. He stole us. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, and, uh, that's good to, but the other thing people need to know though, and that I'm surprised that they don't discover sooner is that vegetables are attractive. I'm not, I'm not sure where they got the bad rap for not being attractive, but when you look at the different varieties of foliage, the colors, for example, uh, a lot of the brassicas have a blue-green color that really accents your garden very nicely. So why wouldn't you grow this stuff? You can grow purple cabbage, uh, and the, those are stunning. So there's all kinds of different things. Uh, even even carrots, look at the foliage on that, the lacy foliage. It's, it's very, very attractive stuff. So why wouldn't you throw that in with your other plants? Right. In my webinar, what I, one of the things I try to get across, just like you're saying, is that we need to kind of retrain our eye a lot of times. Just because we label something a vegetable doesn't necessarily mean it's not attractive because of the beautiful foliage. You mentioned uh, carrots. Fennel is one of my favorite plants, the Florence yes. fennel. I grow extra ones of those just to let it grow up and have that ferny look to it. And then I let it grow to flower, too. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful yellow umble flower that birds and, and bees and swallowtails like too. And yeah. So, you know, kind of looking a little bit differently at plants is one way to try to approach this edible landscaping. And then like we we're talking about grouping plants together, you know, if you have some trees or shrubs and you mentioned that big three, mul three foot mulch area around the rhododendron, you know, you can put edible ground covers in. Uh, I love growing alpine strawberries, which are these low growing mm -hmm. little strawberries. And there's varieties that run all over the place that create a beautiful, nice mat you get these edible berries all summer long with. And even that nemesis mint. If you're smart no! about it. No! No! No mint. <laughs> but if you put it in a place where it's naturally going to be limited in where it grows, like against a, a house or a building or maybe even a spot where it might get into the lawn. But when you're mowing the lawn, you can get that fresh smell mm -hmm. of mint as you go around instead of diesel. Well, then, <laughs> uh, well, you know where you can also get that fresh smell of mint is by letting Creeping Charlie grow in your lawn, and then you just mow that as well. You know, I, 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 t I, tell, I talk to people about Creeping Charlie and I, and when I do garden talks, and I have actually I have said the words Creeping Charlie and have gotten hisses <laughs> from the audience, and I have to stop and say, folks, it's not a moral judgment. It's just a plant, okay? It's just <laughs> a plant. It was just a plant put in the wrong place. That's a, you know, creeping Charlie's a ground cover under a tree is fine. Put it in the lawn. Oh, it's a weed. Yeah, well, and, and you put it in your lawn. It's hard to get out. You put it in your garden. You can just go and you pull that that sucker out. And then that's the difference. It's so. But you know, even even in your lawn, and I don't want to get uh, sidetracked by creeping Charlie. It's it's green. It's got a beautiful purple flower. I mean, uh, it's fragrant. What's not to like? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So it's not, like I said, it's not a moral judgment, folks. It's just a plant trying to grow somewhere in the world. Uh, we're, we're just about out of time here, Charlie. So I want to make sure that they have all your information and let them, our folks know that uh, you are coming to the Chicago Flower and Garden Show, uh, which is only five days this year. That's something we'll talk about maybe at the top of the next hour before uh, we, we get to Francis Thick. Uh, it's five days this year. They've cut it back from nine, which I think is actually a really good idea. It's uh, uh, Let's condense it and get all that energy into five days. And Charlie will be there on Friday and Saturday. So that is the 
16th and 17th. 16th, right. 16th and 17th. Um, and if you want more information about him and his uh, webinar, which is coming up uh, on February 1st, go to gardeningwithcharlie.com. Anything else you want to throw in there, Charlie? Well, and certainly my talk is going to be sponsored by Velcro, you know, the hook and fastener people. And so I'll be giving away free Velcro ties, you know, those rolls of ties, those plant ties. I'm going to use it, uh, but yeah, everyone will get one who comes to my talk at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. And and when it, when you come into town, I'm going to talk to you about getting sponsors for the show. Okay, that's the, that's my next job. Uh, Charlie Nardazzi, Nardozzi, 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 Thanks. We'll see you soon, Charlie. All right. Take care, Mike. Bye, Mike. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847 475 1590. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What, what about, about those sweet potatoes, potatoes, huh? What about them? What about them? Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Going to turn that down just a tad. And uh, here. Uh, are we live? Are we? I don't know. We were just uh, talking off uh, air here about the uh, you know, Facebook is tweaking all the time. And apparently the latest thing is it's going to make most of the people on Facebook happy. The people who like to share cat videos are going to be really excited that uh, the focus is now going to be on your friends. Uh, they're, they're tweaking the algorithm. But they're, as I said off air here, they're basically kicking businesses to the curb. That's going to be a little weird. So we'll we'll see what happens. It's uh, because there's people like me and other people I know uh, who use Facebook uh, for business purposes, um, and uh, it's a great uh, format. For instance, us being here on Facebook Live this morning and, and having a lot of people tuning in uh, who were sharing the first hour with uh, Charles Nardozzi and um Janie Maxwell and and that was cool so uh and I hope a lot of them share the second hour as well because it's going to be a very interesting conversation when we get Francis Thick on the phone in a little bit but before we get to that I got I got to talk about a couple of things uh first of all get back to the Chicago Flower and Garden Show because you're you're hearing some of the stuff that Peggy and I are going to be doing if you're listening uh to the uh, the commercials on the show today, you'll hear one about uh, the Flower and Garden Show, uh, which starts uh, in Navy Pier, 
This year is only five days. It starts on the 14th of March. Now, normally, for years and years, you've been able to go to the flower show, and it will start on a, on a Saturday, be that Sunday, then go all week, and then the following Saturday and Sunday. Well, you, there's only one Saturday and one Saturday starting you gotta be Sunday. There. This, I'm sorry, one Saturday and one Sunday starting this year. Um, so I think it's great. I think it's a good idea because um, it combines all that. It gets all that energy, and I think nine days is a long time to do a show, and it's certainly not great for the flowers because <laughs> a lot of the, the people who do displays there have had halfway through the, through the show – have to swap out some of those blooms and bring in fresh ones, and that that costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And if you're a vendor, and I've done this at the show, and you've done this, Peggy, you've been a vendor at, at events like this, nine days is it's, forever. It's exhausting. Your it life is. goes on hold. Yeah, exactly, because you got nine days, and you're standing there all day long. And, you know, talking to people is fun, but it's exhausting, as you say. It just uh, – so five days is so much better, um, which means that Wednesday – March 14th through Sunday, March 18th, will be the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. We're going to have uh, Tony Abruscato, who is the director of the Flower Show. He's going to be on uh, within the next few weeks. We don't mm-hmm. know exactly. We haven't exactly set the date yet, but uh, he will be here and talk about the new deal at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. Uh, and uh, Peggy and I are going to be there. We're doing a talk on the Friday at 1130, I believe. And um, the name of the talk, oh, I had it in front of me, and of course I don't have it in front of me right now. Let's see here. Is I'm looking for it, too. I ha- What's I ha- important and how to find it? That's it. Thank Such you. as the name of our talk. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah, you know, what's important and how to find it. And how you find it is you scroll to the right place ahead of time. So when you mention it, it's there. Uh, what's important and how to find it. And basically, that's a talk for all you folks out there who are always looking for answers. And, you know, you call a radio show and you want an answer on how to prune this plant or how to plant this. Where do I get this? Um, Peggy and I are going to use our experience doing radio, doing um, Natural Awakenings, Chicago Magazine, and tell you how to find stuff, Who, what sites you can trust, what sources you can trust, uh, how to track things down quickly, and we're going to do it in real time. We'll give you some tips, but then we'll probably take something from, you know, we'll be flying, we'll be there without a net, okay? We're going to ask <laughs> people in the audience, we're going to say, hey, okay, have us track something down right now in real time. And that should be kind of fun at the Chicago Especially as Club. the computer goes spin, 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 spin. That's right. Right. And I hope we have a good connection. Otherwise, well, then we'll just go to our phones. Yes. I mean, that's the way we go. Uh, the other thing I want, to, I want to talk about real quick is because I was on uh, Ron, uh, Mighty House yesterday with uh, Ron Cowgill mm-hmm. and Rich Cowgill and Robbie. And Ron Cameron. is watching us now. Is he? Hey, yes. Ron. Uh, I wanted to mention that uh, Ron came out to my house in uh, this past week. Uh, to help me put in insulation, finish the insulation job that I started. I said 15 years ago. I think it was more like a dozen years ago. I don't know. I don't remember anymore. <laughs> I don't care. But I rolled out all this fiberglass insulation and bats in the attic, and then when I was done with it and nearly killed myself, realized it was half of what I needed in there. <laughs> so uh, years go by, and I said, okay, this has got to get fixed. And so Ron and his team from uh, DR Services Unlimited, Inc., came by and if you want to hire a really good contractor they're the people you really should uh do that uh i'm going to give them a, a super plug here because they're the best 
Um, but he did say at the end of it, after two days, I called him. I said, Ron, how's it going? And I'm going to swear here. I'm not going to say what the president said, but I'm going to say, Ron said, your house is kicking my ass. Okay. And uh, I said, uh, oh, that's fun. That's kind of cool. Uh, and so he had to stay an extra day with his, his crew because they were also doing some electric work. And you have to do that before you put the insulation in the attic because otherwise you're stuck. Um, they rocked the house. And now I'm the you're best. warm and toasty. I'm warm and toasty. And I'm going to look at my bill in a month and see what the difference is. And I'm going to stop making people's gas rich, which I think is the best thing of all. So insulation. That's the key. Thank now, you, Ron Cogill. Now I got some more insulation to do, and then I can work on the solar. Yeah. All right. That's a dream. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We will be right back. When even the Pope starts offering advice about how to mitigate climate change, you know that something's up. Pope Francis says that in order to heal the earth, we need scientific clarity, ethical guidance, spiritual engagement, and direct action. Are you ready to be engaged? No, the Pope isn't coming to town, but the McHenry County College Great Lakes Bioneers Speaker Series is. And a couple of Loyola University Chicago professors will speak about the Path of Hope, Integral Ecology for Home and Hemisphere, on February 13th. Join Dr. Michael J. Shuck from the Department of Theology and Dr. Nancy Tuckman from the Institute of Sustainability as they explore the next steps in slowing the runaway train called climate change. All events are free and at 7 p.m. in the Looked Conference Center, 8900 U.S. Highway 14 in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Call 815-479-7765 or visit mchenry.edu slash green. That's 815-479-7765 or visit mchenry.edu slash green. You can now enjoy local food all season long at Winter Farmer's Markets, hosted by many different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through April. Your purchase of local, sustainably produced food helps support regional farmers. The markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of diverse faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. For a market schedule and to learn more, go to faithinplace.org. The Chicago Flower and Garden Show returns to Navy Pier this March with a new five-day schedule. This year's theme is Flower Tales. Every garden has a story to tell. You'll enjoy fabulous display gardens, chef demonstrations, container potting parties, cut flower arranging classes, and family activities. Mike and I will be there twice. Our presentation is on Friday, March 16th, and on Sunday, March 18th, we're broadcasting live. This year's Chicago Flower and Garden Show is happening from March 14th through March 18th. Get your tickets now at chicagoflower.com. This is your talk. We're going to be here for a long time. Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And it is quite a privilege to welcome our next guest. Uh, and he is Francis Thick, Ph.D. Uh, Francis, uh, good morning. Are you there? Hi, Mike. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, I, if you're if you're listening listening to the show, you need to know that I talked uh, in the first hour to Charlie Nardozzi, and I listed all the things he did. 
I could do the same thing with Francis Thick, uh, and it would go on even longer. Um, a, a farmer and an environmentalist, uh, a, a, a soil fertility specialist. Uh, you have been with the uh, Iowa Environmental Protection Commission, the Leopold Group Sierra Club uh, in Southeast Iowa, Food Democracy Now!, Organic Farming Research Foundation. You've been with MOSES, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service. Uh, but the reason you're here is your your recent stint uh, as a board member uh, for the National Organic Standards Board from 2013 through January 2018. And I'm going to make a couple of caveats here uh now can i call you francis uh is that okay uh yes all right instead of doc i could call you dr thick but francis sounds uh uh, more reasonable um actually the last name is the last name is pronounced ticky by the way oh i see and this is what you don't know when you when you just read stuff and you've not heard somebody uh live ticky Okay, thank you so much for that information. And and some folks won't step up, and you know you can go a whole show, and they and they don't tell you how to pronounce their names, and then you find out afterwards. So I, I appreciate you doing that, Francis Tiki, Ph.D. Uh, Francis, I I'm going to confess that in my research in the past week, I was stunned because I didn't realize a lot of this was going on. Now I know that. What we're going to talk about today happened in the past month or so, but it's something that's been building for a while. Um, and I was not aware of it. And I think uh, folks who uh, like to shop organic and are interested in the pesticides that are in their foods and the safety of their their food uh, in the United States need to know about this, what I called earlier in the show today, an internecine battle going on in the organics world. So the other caveat I'm going to make is that we can't possibly discuss all the ramifications of this in about 25 minutes. We'll do our best uh, to to get this out. So I'm going to start by saying that you were a member of the board of the National Organic Standards Board, and we'll call it the uh, NOSB for short, as a lot of people do. And you left the board in December. First of all, I have to ask you, did you quit or was that just the end of your term? No, my term actually ends this week. So I did not quit, but it was my last uh, national meeting where we did the national voting and so on. Okay, good. Uh, that's uh, that clarification. Uh, but you had some very strong words to say about organics in America uh, when you stepped down, and you weren't alone, uh, I will say. It's, it's a reflection of what was going on at, at, at uh, a meeting that happened in Florida in, um, I believe it was in December, um, and I'm not exactly sure where to start. Where What would be the jumping off point? Uh, you say that the organic standards are in danger in America. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that we've seen some slipping of the organic standards, and in particular the enforcement by the USDA. And I, I wanted to back up real quickly and, and kind of do a little background on the organic standards that most people don't understand. Because I learned in my five-year stint on the board that there are some very rigorous parts of the national organic standards. For example, there is a national list of approved and, and allowed um, materials. And for anything that's synthetic that would be allowed in organic production for crop production, animals, or even for processing, has to be on that national list, and it's a very rigorous process. When somebody petitions a material for that list, um, we, we hire out a, a scientific review of all the literature, 
And then the, the NOSB evaluates that, um, whether or not that material petition should go on the allowed list by looking at um, several criteria. Number one, is it, um, oh, is it harmful to human health and the environment? Number two, is it compatible with the system of organic and sustainable agriculture? And number three, is it necessary for organic agriculture? So most materials petitioned don't get on the list. So the point I'm making here is that there is a very rigorous process for this, uh, what's allowed um, for materials in organic, and so we avoid toxic materials in the organic um, food. However, on the other side, if we're not using synthetic chemicals and so on, then we need to have um, other practices. For example, if we're not going to use pesticides and fertilize, synthetic fertilizers, we need to have rotations and other cultural, biological, and ecological practices on the ground working so we can avoid those things. And over time, um, one of the principles of the organic standards has been a continuous improvement, mm-hmm. and we want to continuously improve the organic standards. Well, we've had some slippage in recent years, and you alluded to some of that, and the one that you talked about was hydroponics. Now, in 2010, the National Organic Standards Board recommended to USDA to not allow hydroponic, um, hydroponically produced food to be um, certified organic. Well, that didn't get put into place. Normally, when the NOSB recommends something, the USDA is supposed to put that into place as a rule. They normally do. They don't have to, but they normally would do that. Um, and they didn't do it. And as a matter of fact, in 2014, USDA said it's okay to certify hydroponic food. And so we addressed that issue again in the fall, this last fall. And um, the NOSB was not able to conjure enough votes up to um, prohibit organic this time. I'm sorry, prohibit hydroponics. And so hydroponics have been slipping into organic foods. And some things like tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers are a very high percentage are hydroponic. And people don't know it. It's not labeled that way. And um, even in berries, there's one company in in U.S. and Mexico that certifies certifies over 1,000 acres of hydroponic berries. Mm -hmm. You may know what that company is. There's one company that has over 60 acres of greenhouse peppers and cucumbers and and tomatoes. Is that Driscoll? Are are not labeled hydroponic. I'm sorry? I was going to say, are we talking Driscoll? Um, Okay, if you want to say names, yeah, Driscoll is the berry company, and Wholesome Harvest is the company that has the huge greenhouses for um, um, tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers. And so the point I want to get to at some point, and I guess we're sort of there already, is that you can avoid some of these foods by knowing where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. So if Mm -hmm. you can buy tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers growing locally, you know, that are growing in soil, you can avoid that. And and the same principle applies to some other areas we can talk about as we go along. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, Let me just say here that uh, I'm not afraid to name companies here. I don't want to get you in trouble, but uh, all we're saying uh, for these companies, we're not saying they're good or bad. We're saying that they do hydroponics, and this is how these things are grown. And and let me back up about that just a little bit, because I think a lot of people listening to the show – now, a lot of my listeners are very sophisticated about organics, but then – the average listening audience to the radio might not be as sophisticated. And for the longest time, we have been moving toward hydroponics because this has been touted as a way to save space. It's a way to feed more people, feed more people. Um, And um, I have never, uh, you know, until my my research into this had not realized there was a controversy about whether um, hydroponics should be considered organic. Um, And I would say... I think most people didn't know it had, even farmers and even myself on the NOSB (laughs) did not know there was that much hydroponic organic certified out there. And and 
many of us, like myself, I started farming organically in the 1970s. And the original organic farmers really were committed to the soil, building soil organic matter, that the complexity of the soil is so important, and, and building that soil fertility over time is so important. Well, when you go hydroponics, you completely circumvent the soil, and you don't have all of those, what I think are the goodies and soils that are, are present. And another point I want to point out is that there was a lot of deception going on when we had this debate on hydroponics over this last year. Companies like the ones we mentioned claimed they weren't hydroponic. They claimed they were container growers. Mm-hmm. Now, they fed 100% of the, in, in most cases, 100% of the nutrients came from liquid feeding, which is by definition hydroponics. But they said, no, we're not hydroponic. We're container growers. And so it confused the public. It confused even members of the NOSB. And it was very deceptive. And, trade, and a trade organization, a national trade organization, um, who has these companies as their members, sided with them and helped to add to that confusion. And the certifying organization that certifies these hydroponic operations also jumped on their bandwagon. They get a lot of money for certifying it, which is a little bit of a conflict there. Um, but but the, there was a lot of deception and, and confusion in this whole process. Well, and, and that that continues, and, and it, that is one of the ways that companies make money is obfuscation and uh, confusion, sowing seeds of doubt, which is um, something we've we talked about recently on the show in in uh, terms of glyphosate mm-hmm. with uh, Carrie Gillum with Carrie Gillum who who wrote a book and we interviewed her about that and um, we know that all you have to do is call or, or climate change we could talk climate change I mean there's so many different subjects where you throw a little right. doubt a little doubt into it and it it, it t- turns the subject on its head. Yeah, and it really has to do with the influence of money that we see endemic in our government today. And um, oftentimes, in many cases where the NOSB make recommendations that should routinely be adopted and put into r- rulemaking by USDA, they would go nowhere. And we know that these big companies were in there lobbying USDA and the whole administration to prevent it. And a good example is um, NOSB, over a number of years, put together a, a comprehensive set of, of stronger standards for animal welfare. And, and a key part of it was mm-hmm. would allow um, poultry houses to have more space for the chickens and outdoor space, requiring outdoor space. And um, just backing up, the original organic standard said chickens had to have access to the outdoors. Well, that was never enforced properly. And these big chicken houses came into being of 180,000 or 200,000 chickens in one building that had no access to the outdoors in violation of that of that basic standard. Well, these new um, animal welfare standards, which NOSB approved over many years, and it was pu- public comments came through, and it was all synthesized. Well, um, finally, the Obama, the Obama administration dragged its feet for a long time. And finally, when Trump was, at, was um, uh, elected, they put in a, a, a standard was that they were supposed to go in effect January 19th, I believe it was. Well, the first thing the Trump administration did when they came in is they, they, they withdraw it, withdrew it. So now that rule has been withdrawn, and so it's, it's not going to go anywhere. But, but it's not just the Republicans or Democrats. We, during the whole Obama administration, we've had a lot of, a lot of um, dragging of feet on, on tightening up rules. We have, have had loosening of rules on grazing, for example. Um, the original organic standard said uh, ruminant livestock, cows had to have access to pasture. And, and these big dairies came into being out in the deserts that had no pasture. They had 5,000 cows in a 10-acre lot. And, and so 
over many years of, of, of debate, um, USDA finally put into place a recommendation by NOSB that cows had to have at least 30% of their feed from grass during the grazing season. Mm-hmm. Well, these big dairies, when it was put into effect, some of these 5,000 cow dairies had to cut back to 1,000 cows because they couldn't meet the grazing rule otherwise. Well, over time, they started to grow and grow, and now some of these dairies are 15,000 cows. I've heard of some 20,000 cow dairies that are organic. And as a grazing dairy farmer, I know there's no way that these cows can walk far enough twice a day and come home for milking and graze. And the Washington Post did an expose on it where they observed one of these dairies out in Colorado for eight days, and the cows, at most, they ever saw 10% of the cows out on grass. That was Aurora? And they reported... That was out, oh, at, right? out at Aurora Organic? It was Aurora. Yeah, you guys really go for the names. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about this, sometimes you have to name names, and, and that's important. Yeah, yeah. And they they supply a lot of the the bigger places, the bigger box stores. As that's it were. the point I want to get to exactly. That um they they and other big CAFO dairies, confinement animal feeding operations, that are certified organic, they supply the big box stores, and the big box stores usually have their own private label that they have on there, and and so if you're Buying milk, organic milk from a big box store, you're probably buying CAFO milk. And so you might be more discriminating. You might buy from something in a local local kind of a dairy that you know is grazing. Or, for example, Organic Valley is a cooperative of organic farmers, and they have higher standards not only for grazing cows but also for their egg production. I, I have to uh, stop. Access uh, to the outdoors. So yeah. that's how we can be, as consumers, can be discriminating about these things and, and try to, to seek out things that we know are more true to the original organic rules. Uh, that's, by the way, that's Francis uh, Tiki, uh, and he is, was a former, or he, he, when, when, when's your final day uh, on the NOSB? I think it's the 23rd of January, so it's like next week. Okay, <laughs> that's the National Organic Standards Board, and uh, he's a, an organic farmer himself, uh, operates an 80-cow certified organic dairy in Fairfield, Iowa, um, and I and I notice on uh, on Twitter and Facebook that we've uh, had people thanking us for having you on the show because you've made a name for yourself in the, in the past month by calling out the uh, or National Organic Standards Board, uh, t- telling them about and and anybody who will listen about the very things you're talking about right now. Uh, let me clarify one thing though. You said that uh, in terms of hydroponics, uh, the NOSB did not reject them, but it didn't necessarily endorse them either, did it? Um, we voted um, on a, a motion to reject hydroponics, and the motion failed. And so that means that um, we, we were, it, the motion was null and void. Okay. Nothing can, only a motion that passes goes forward as a recommendation to USDA. So, so a failed motion doesn't cause anything to happen. So it was inaction. So inaction, which means that big money will continue to have an influence and we will continue to see hydroponics in organic standards. And one of the things you're talking about is a a way to react that something you opposed in the past uh, that uh, you might be in favor now is an additional label uh, on organic products, which we can talk about. We got to take a short break here. And when we come back, we will continue our conversation with Francis Tickey. Um, uh, about organics uh, in America. If you want to call us, you can do that. The number, if I could find it, yeah, 877-711-5611. We'll be right back. Did you know it takes almost 2,000 gallons of water to produce one pound of beef? 
In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. It takes only 39 gallons of water to produce one pound of vegetables. Meat production releases more greenhouse gases than veggies. Emissions from livestock currently make up almost 15% of the global greenhouse gases. Of that, beef and dairy alone make up 65%. One cow's annual output of methane, you know, cow fluffs, burps, call them what you want, is equivalent to the emissions generated by one car burning 235 gallons of gas. Talk about stinky climate change. More vegetables equals a happier planet. Just saying. I'm Green Diva Meg, and you can find more low-stress green living tips at thegreendivas.com. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, and as I mentioned at the top of the segment, um, that we just don't have enough time. So I'm going to invite you right now, uh, Francis Tiki, to uh, come back on the show because we won't get to the end of this. And we got a lot of questions yeah. pouring in from our listeners uh, about organic standards. Um, and I'm going to say something that I, the folks on, on Facebook live just heard this, but I want to say it for public record on the airwaves here. And something you mentioned earlier is that, uh, even under Obama, uh, the standards were being, uh, loosened and, uh, big money was having an influence. I don't know. Some people call it big money. Some people call it big ag. I, it, it, who knows what it, what we're dealing with here? We're just dealing with companies, multinationals that want to make a lot of money. And one of the ways they can do it is to charge into this uh, $50 billion a year organics industry, uh, which arose from basically nothing 40 mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, and now it's big business, so yeah, they want to have their say. But as you mentioned uh, in the previous segment, Francis, even when Obama was president, and 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 you could argue that his people uh, had the public's interest more at heart, there were things happening that uh, you had little control over, um, and so it shows that vigilance is necessary, no matter who is in office. Is that right? I think that's absolutely right. Um, now, we have seen some kind of scary um, erosion of regulatory processes during the Trump administration. We don't even know where it's going to go. 
But you're right that even during the Obama administration, a lot of these things happened where, for example, these huge capo dairies and these huge chicken buildings grew and grew and grew. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the enforcement, even in spite of complaints by consumer groups, USDA did nothing about it. Yeah. So now, as you mentioned again, uh, and I hope folks caught the seg- previous segment, if you just tuned in, uh, Francis Tiki was talking to us about some of the ways that there's been uh, a lessening of the rules in the organic standards, uh, including letting uh, concentrated animal feeding operations into the mix, uh, letting hydroponics into the mix. And we didn't, we really haven't gotten into the, uh, the dirt, ha, 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 about uh, hydroponics. Uh, and I get what you're talking about because I have been studying this for 20 years I think the average person doesn't really understand the difference between growing something in in uh, liquid and growing something in soil. What I would say to that person is, um, you read these, uh, you read the science about soils, and a teaspoon of soil contains billions of organisms, whether they're micro or macro, uh, and your 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 liquid is not your water is not going to have that. All right. And and I would say that that there there is science we haven't even discovered yet about soil and we don't understand all the processes at work when a plant grows. We understand a lot of them, um, but some of it and, and organic people, I've heard other organic people say this before, who say, who say there's actually there has to be some magic in, in what's going on here. And when you quantify everything, it's like when, uh, Francis, when we, we decided that NPK was the solution to everything, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, all you need is that. You don't need anything else. Uh, you know, 150 years ago, we, we decided we knew how to grow everything, and all you had to do was add nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, and potassium. And, and we discovered later on, no, you know, that's really not it. There's biology, too, and we were not taking biology into account and would you say that's some of what's going on with this um, debate between hydroponics and soil growing? Yeah, you're right. That science really doesn't. I'm a soil scientist, and I, mm-hmm. I can tell you, science does not understand the processes of soils that well. But there is a lot of new research going on on the complexities of soil ecology, and amazing things are being discovered about the interactions between soil microorganisms and roots, for example, and and um, how it can change the the, the nutrition of the plant. Um, by the plant growing in the soil and and, uh, and dealing with these soil microorganisms. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a, a huge area that we know little about. Right. And and so we're cutting them completely out of the equation when we go into hydroponics. So I actually I do understand why uh, the organic growers would say that growing things hydroponically really is not organic because you're adding chemicals, you're adding stuff. You, I mean, you might even add natural substances to the water, but you don't have soil. And and that's exactly. and that's a key element. I want, one point I want to repeat though is that I'm not encouraging people not to to um, to use organic food, eat organic food. I think that some of the fundamentals are still very strong, and that um, we have a, a mentality of continuously improving these organic standards, and and we all need to be more vigilant in making that happen. And and uh, we can also, as we talked earlier, we can be discriminating in how we purchase organic products in areas where we know. There are, for example, CAFO eggs and CAFO milk. Mm-hmm. We can try to avoid those by avoiding those big box brands. And with hydroponics, I would suggest consumers go right up to the um, vegetable, the produce um, manager and say, are these 
are these tomatoes hydroponic? And, and demand they find out. And, and even ask them to label them. I mean, consumers have tremendous power, and, and we can drive this. And, and something you talked about um, a little earlier is that there is a move um, by organic farmers who are soil-based, for example, and who have their cows out on grass and who have their chickens out in pastures to, um, to maybe have an add-on label. Mm-hmm. So this add-on label might – some of them are very complex that are being proposed, but a very simple one would be this, you would be certified organic, basically, but an add-on label would mean, yes, it's grown in the soil, and yes, my cows have had access to pasture uh, to a high degree, and, and it could be defined. And, and um, chickens, the eggs came from chickens that had um, access to pasture, for example. And so we can, if USDA can't enforce the rules, then we can um, put another layer on top, and consumers and farmers working together can, um, can inform each other. So how do we make that happen, though? How do you get that label certification gone through people using it and consumers understanding it? Well, it's going to take some time, I think, and there are several being proposed right now. Um, so, yeah, the regenerative yeah, organic I, I certification. Can, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, one of them, the regenerative organic certification label. Yes, yes, that's one of them. That has it's it's a very rigorous standard. Um, it has three levels of certification that the Rodale Institute is, is sponsoring. And I think that would probably is the, would be the real gold standard. But um, whether all organic farmers will participate or, you know, or can afford it, mm-hmm. that remains to be seen. But um, So there are definitely things in the works. And, and if consumers be on the watch for it, and, and if, if farmers can continue to uh, work towards it, there's another thing that's developed too recently is that there's um, a National Organic Farmers Association, OFA, that's been just recently formed, that it's an association of organic farmers that will um, work in the arena of public policy for organic farmers. And only organic farmers can vote in this organization because we feel that sometimes the Organic Trade Association um, has been over, overrun by the interests of big business. And, for example, they came out in favor of hydroponics. And so we need to have an independent voice for organic farmers. Mm-hmm. So that's emerging right now, too. So I see a lot of good things happening. But we all need to kind of keep our, our eyes open and, and keep looking for ways to um, strengthen the standards. And, what? you know, I, I'm hopeful. You know, I think if we got like a Bernie Sanders type of a person president, they could put in a USDA um, secretary who could change this overnight. And all they have to do is stand up to the big business. Yeah, but we're, we're that, that we yeah, that's not going to happen right now, and that's part of the problem. Is that <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it, not in this environment. No, it's not. We're we're in grave danger in this country now because the least qualified people are being put in charge of pretty much everything in our government. All right, and and that's not right. o- and not only least qualified, but people whose specific agendas are to tear down the very institutions they're being put in charge of. That is. Regardless of who's in the White House, if if Donald Trump is removed tomorrow, those people will still be there, and they will still be causing damage and wreaking havoc for years. Uh, yeah. And a good example of that is uh, uh, during the hydroponics debate, one of the well, Wholesome Harvest sent uh, one of their spokespersons to the Senate Ag Committee. Pat Roberts, who hates organic anyway, is mm-hmm. the chair of the Senate Ag Committee, and this guy said the NOSB has too much power. We need to take away power from the NOSB Ugh. and put more industry people on the NOSB. And Pat Roberts took note, and, and they're talking about in the Farm Bill weakening the NOSB. And so you're right. Absolutely, we have a problem. Yeah, we have a terrible problem. All right, we also have some questions here. So, Peggy, uh, did you, you had a couple. I can see one here, unless you've got an, an order here for the questions. 
let's see. We've got one question of um, can organic veggies be grown with manure from CAFOs, and how do we know they haven't been? Um, well, one thing about the organic standards is that there are rules for use of manure. And, um, for example, the manure has to be put on the land um, at least 90 days before the crop is harvested. And mm-hmm. if the manure touches any edible part, like a, um, like a carrot, it has to be 120 days. And so there, is, uh, there are some standards on use of manure in, um, in, in organic growing. Now, there are not any rules on using capable manure versus, you know, non-capable manure, however. But that, that's a food safety standard that there has to be a waiting period between putting the manure on and harvesting vegetables for human consumption. Uh, somebody also asked, uh, do we need a veganic label, plant-based only agriculture? Well, I don't, I don't really have much to say about it. I mean, uh, the, the National Organic Standards have to do with plant growing and animal production. And so that would have to be kind of an add-on kind of a thing that, that would be sponsored by vegans, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, let's get back real, real quick to the, the label thing. The problem, you know, and you say you might be in favor of a label, and we only have a couple of minutes here, so I gotta make the, we'll make this really quick. Part of the problem with that is organic is already a label, a mm-hmm. separate label. So now you're putting a label within a label. Do you see that where this starts to cause all kinds of problems, Francis? I understand completely. And it's too bad we have to do that. It's too bad we can't just force the USDA to, to follow the, the real rules. But I, I see, I don't see much of an alternative. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we're, we're just about out of time here. If people want more information, obviously, they can go to my website, MikeNovak.net. There's a lot of links there. But, Francis, where would you advise people to, to do more research about this? Um, I would go on the website of Cornucopia Institute. They have uh, some standards on it. They actually rate dairies based upon how well they, they um, how much they graze and how well they uh, meet the real standards. And they also for uh, poultry operations. So Cornucopia dot org or whatever um you can find them online they have done a lot of research in this and, and you can get a lot of guidance from them all right that's fabulous francis tiki uh thank you so much please will you come back on the show and talk more about this i'd be happy to all right we will do that uh, in the not too distant future thanks so much it's the mike novak show with peggy malecki uh rick DeMaio is next If you garden in or around Chicago and you don't have a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I'm a little worried about you. That's because you're missing out on not only the garden magazine for our region, but one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, as well as articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, and What to Do in the Garden. Of course, there's my column on the inside back page of every issue, but into each life a little rain must fall. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines on newsstands everywhere, but go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. 
Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. It's time for Food Drive 2.0. The most popular form of giving in the U.S. is getting a makeover. And the Give Healthy movement and Amp Your Good are leading the way. It's now possible to donate fresh fruits and vegetables and other healthy foods to those facing hunger in our communities. Here's how it works. You visit the website of your food drive, pick out the healthy items you want to donate, and they do the rest. You get a tax receipt, folks get healthy food. Go to ampyourgood.org or givehealthy.org for details. What is this, anyhow? This is your talk. This is America, Jack. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. See, you were wondering what all the sound effects are about. It's, it actually sounded like uh, the sound effects we had from the microphone stand here a second ago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Oh, my goodness. Look who's on the phone. It is live. Just uh, returned from hobnobbing with meteorologists from all over the country, uh, Rick DeMaio. Rick? Uh, all, of, all, over the, all over the world, my friend. All over the world. So the AMS, oh, yeah. they just invite everybody, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is an international conference attended by... Uh, I would say probably close to about 4,800 people. Um, you got probably, I would say, over 100 countries um, represented. And, uh, you know, the AMS, the American Meteorological Society, um, this, this was their 98th conference. And there's going to be a big buildup to the 100th, which is going to take place in Boston, because uh, that's where the headquarters of the AMS are. And people aren't happy about it, Mike and Peg, because we typically rotate these conferences during the wintertime between mm-hmm. warm weather cities in Boston, as you know, uh-huh. not a warm weather city in the month of January. So we'll, we'll see how that all works out. But um, uh, it was nothing but nonstop discussion about weather and climate and communication, how we can do a better job of making sure that the forecast actually does what the forecast is supposed to do, mm-hmm. which is inform people and get them to react um, in a way that we want them to react to. You know, typically meteorologists go, oh, the forecast worked out well because I did this. Yeah, but did you actually let the people know this was going to happen and this was how it was going to be impacted? So that was basically the overall theme of the uh, of the five-day conference. Interesting. And where and where was the conference again? It was in Austin. Uh, uh, that's right. Okay. Call them the, it's, it's, the, it's the blue dot in the red state. And <laughs> right. if you've never been to Austin, it is one of the coolest cities in the, in the, in the United States there. Their, their motto is, keep Austin weird. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, that could... It's, it's kind of like, like a larger version of Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, uh, but it, it's, it, you know what was really interesting was this was the first time I think I really felt anger coming from, from scientists and meteorologists and educators uh, and broadcasters about how, you know, science um, on the whole has been attacked about why people still feel the way they do about, about climate change. Um, and I happened to be a part of a couple of symposiums where I got to hear Catherine Hayhoe. Um, she is one of the leading uh, speakers about climate change. She's out of Texas Tech University. And if you get a chance, I'll, I'll, I'll link you up to the, um, 
to the website that shows all of the different talks. Um, and, and she really came up with a lot of interesting, you know, statistics on, on the, the widening gap of how people feel about climate change, but yet, you know, whether or not there's, there's something we could do about it and whether or not, um, you know, we're responsible for it and whether or not, you know, we're going to be impacted by it. Uh, so, again, this wasn't just a, a conference on climate change. It included things like um, education. It included things like hurricanes, a little bit of severe weather, a little bit of aviation. Those tend to have their own sort of discussions. But this was really, guys, the first conference where you can really sense people were upset and angry uh, and that, you know, we're not going to let the present administration uh, push us back. That's uh, that's really interesting. So is, that's that's your big takeaway from from this conference is that uh, the uh, the folks there were rising up in defense of science. Yeah, and and for the first time, I think the the aim of the discussions was not like like looking at these little bar graphs and and saying, oh, this is what's happening and and this is where this is where the trend is. You, you literally had people like like Mike Nelson, who's the who's the leading meteorologist. Um, you know, from a visual standpoint, on TV in Denver, mm-hmm. Paul Douglas up in Minneapolis, literally running a, a two-hour town hall meeting that basically is instructing the younger weathercasters in the room on, on how not to be afraid to talk about climate change. And literally, you they have get Mike ding. Nelson, who is a graduate. <laughs> What's that? They get a ding. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you literally, you literally peg had Mike Nelson, who is a, you know, a 40-year veteran. Uh, I knew him when he was up in Madison, Wisconsin. Basically, he began his discussion reading a tweet from, from, from Donald Trump. He says, I want to begin my discussion with, oh, it's cold this weekend in the Northeast. We need a little bit of global warming, hashtag MAGA. And you can hear everybody kind of like chuckle, because usually those conferences – are meant to be very professional, very even-keeled, very conservative. But he basically came out and slammed the president. And then when they showed, you know, pictures of, of Scott Pruitt and Senator Inhofe, people actually hissed and booed. And when they showed, you know, the Department of Energy secretary um, uh, from Texas, the former governor, they, they booed as well. You never used to see that. But they're basically pissed off, and Mike Nelson actually came out and said, when, when our science is being attacked by right-wing conservative radio, he said, I think that's disgusting. And I was blown away, but at the same time, I think it really energized the, the people in the audience who are basically people with you know one- and two- and three-year contracts, making sure that they toe the line the way the news director wants them to become not a, quote, chief meteorologist, but to become what's called a station scientist. And I think that's a great direction for the AMS to go. This is, uh, that's, that's really interesting stuff. Wow. Uh, and um, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of speechless uh, at the whole thing, but it's, it's good to see that the, the meteorologists are reacting to this. Did, very briefly, did was there a talk about bringing uh, climate change conversation into weather forecasts at all? Oh, Mike, Mike, that, that happens all the time. I mean, one of the one of the big town hall meetings we had literally filled up a, a ballroom of over a thousand people. 
uh, which was basically a look back at the 2017 hurricane season. Uh, and I stood up, not during that town hall meeting, but another meeting, I said, at what point is it okay to discuss climate change following a natural disaster? And you know what? There's still a lot of, you know, let's kind of sift through the weeds on this. We understand people's lives were upturned. People were killed. People's houses were basically washed away. So you don't want to start to talk about the causes of the event when it's outside of the, quote, weather window. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's still a lot of talk about when is it good to talk about climate change, not only as part of a weather discussion, but also as part of a weather forecast. And I think that part we're still trying to figure out. You always want to make sure as a scientist that you get it right. But even when you don't get it right, you go back and you try to figure out where did I go wrong. We're not deniers. We're skeptics. And I think one of the greatest questions that that Catherine Hayhoe posed to us was, I hate the question, do you believe in global warming? You know what she said? She said, no, because you know what? Global warming is not a religion. It's not a faith. I shouldn't have to be posed the question, do I believe? It is, do I acknowledge the facts? Do I acknowledge the science? So when someone says, do you believe in global warming, don't hissy fit around it. Don't say yes or no. Say, you know what, that's not the right question. The right question is, do you acknowledge the science, do you accept the facts, and do you think we need to move about? It's not a religion, it's not a faith, it's not something that you have to believe in. Science is not about believing. It's about acknowledging objective facts and opinion. Okay. And yeah, we're all skeptics, because that's the reason why and you now, go back and you look at stuff over and over again. And I hate to step on you, but we need to forecast very quickly in about uh, 10 seconds. No, that, that's fine. Sunny today, three to four inches of snow tomorrow, cold on Tuesday and Wednesday, a warm-up on Thursday. <laughs> and that's it, huh? So it goes Boom, back to that. All right. Well, you, said, you, you said 10 seconds. No, you were great. Thanks so much, Rick. We'll talk to you next week. And thanks to everybody else who was on the show, Janie Maxwell, Char- Charles Nardozzi, and, uh, of course, Francis Tickey. Till next Sunday, go green or go home. Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.